We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Crangers McBasketball. And Tim, today we are here to continue the wing discussion, play a little factor fiction with had some interesting comments from Dave McMenamin on Zach Lowe's pie. I mean, Dave's not exactly like, you know, making these decisions, but he's plugged in guy talking about he wouldn't be shocked that Jackson Hayes uh, could start next season. How do you feel about that? Ooh, I, I'm, uh, I would say at this point, I'm skeptical that it would happen. <laughs> I'm skeptical that it would work, but I'm, I don't know, I'll try to be open-minded and dig into it a good bit. And I, we've seen things work with the Lakers in the past, running two big lineups, but just how much they worked. And if they have the right circumstances this year to replicate what they did that title year, I think uh, remains to be seen, and and we will certainly talk about today. It's not as easy as just yeah, play too big. Like there are other factors that go into it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's even like if three years is a long time for the NBA to change. Like it's even less viable, I think, in certain uh, scenarios. But we'll get into that with some factor fiction. We also had Austin Reeves appear on the uh, All the Smoke podcast, which was. I haven't watched all of it. I've watched a good amount, but I figured we could watch some of it together and react or just have fun, you know, talk about it. All right. So let's get into more of the wing talk, Tim. Um, AD at the four. We last saw it, you know, with Mark Gasol, really. He was a, a floor spacing guy. Was that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm bringing him into it because that's the most ideal thing, right? Is it only that? a guy next to him needs to be able to shoot. Is it as simple as that? So I think there's more that goes into it. And it's more mm -hmm. than just like, you know, a, a positive would be you have more size on the court. A positive mm -hmm. would be that Anthony Davis can potentially, depending on who he's paired with, maybe not have to be as involved on defense from a workload standpoint. And that could be part of conserving him. Part of it could just be, hey, if he's guarding fours instead of fives, he has less of the interior dirty work to do. And you can certainly argue that, you know, having to run around more and stick with smaller guys is valuable or it's puts him more at injury risk. I think offensively adding an extra big body on the court increases the likelihood that you're going to have a post mismatch to go at either with AD or whoever the other big is. So there are theoretical benefits, and I think a lot of it, as Lakers fans, and I think fans in general, they like to anchor to, like, hey, we've seen this work, and we, you know, as the Lakers get new players or as they're, you know, thinking about new lineup combinations, I think we often think through things in the frame of like, oh, well, we saw this work with the title team, 
or we saw this work with, you know, X team or Y finals team or whatever it happens to be. And we can still do that, but you know, you want to try to be able to evaluate things on their own merit, but looking, I, th- I think a lot of the potential desire with AD moving to the four from a fan standpoint has to do with the fact that we've seen this Lakers t- franchise several, just several years ago, utilize that in the regular season. They had JaVale McGee, they had Dwight Howard on that 2019, 2020 title team, number one seed. It wasn't like they were a low seed that didn't play well in the regular season. And then it did well in the playoffs. They played well in the regular season. They played well in the playoffs. Yes, it was in the bubble, but we've, we've talked about that before. We'll talk about it again, but for today, I want to look into like, all right, well, how much that year did he actually play the four and, and how well did it actually work? Because I think a lot of times what I've seen happen is, you know, like in the moment we'll be analyzing, like, all right, this, this tactic worked or the scheme worked or this lineup worked or whatever. And then based on how the team performs, either well or poorly, thinking back and reflecting, it's a little bit fuzzier and you tend to associate the good years with whatever those things were, whether or not they worked all that well. And I think this might be one of them, at least from an on-court standpoint. So title season, 60% of AD's minutes came at the power forward position. He was paired with JaVale McGee. He was paired with Dwight Howard. When we look at the Laker team success for when both LeBron and AD were on court, uh, throughout garbage time using pbpstats.com throughout the low leverage minutes, the offense was 1.2 points worse per 100 possessions, playing big with AD at center, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, playing big versus AD at center. So so LeBron at three, AD at four, and then Dwight or JaVale at the five. The offense was slightly worse, and we also see that kind of reflected here on the screen looking at the LeBron values, our luck-adjusted player estimate of uh, regressed. Uh, oh, my goodness. Why is the acronym escaping me? The, the plus, Our advanced plus-minus metric uh, that accounts for roles, it accounts for variance-driven outcomes, uh, we see JaVale McGee minus 1.22 Oh, LeBron, one of the worst on the team. We see Dwight Howard minus 0.61, also not very good. Both of these guys were on the lower end for the roster from an impact standpoint, and they the offense was worse when they were on the court, whether you look at the just the raw data or the advanced data. Interestingly, the defense was 6.6 points worse per 100 possessions playing big compared to when AD was at center. That surprised me. And that's something that uh, the garbage time makes it look not as bad. But when you throw out that garbage time, it was it was a little rough. And, and when we look at the Lakers net rating playing with 80 at the five, they were plus 16.7. They were insanely dominant. And I think this is something, you know, thinking back to how we were feeling that year, this was what Lakers fans wanted to see more of. It was just play 80 at the five. It's that cheat code. It, we're so good at with it. And, you know, it, to some extent, it's situational. But Regular season, it was dominant, 16.7. When he was a four with Dwight or JaVale out there, the Lakers were plus, plus 7.9. Still very good, and it, it worked. Was it better? I don't think so. And now, I mean, looking at these individual guys from a D-LeBron standpoint, with their advanced defensive metrics, JaVale was really, really good. Dwight was also solid. Uh, I'll, I'll pull in here versus uh, their role average. I'm interested to see how that ends up looking. But yeah, so Dwight was about average for an anchor big. JaVale was pretty darn solid for an anchor big defensively. But I think that's just, this is just one way to look at it because another part is like, hey, if the team can do well enough that we're at a high seed and you mix the playoffs and 80s, you know, in great shape and, you know, it doesn't have this progressive fatigue weighing on him. I think if you were to survey fans, they would say, yeah, that's fine. Like this is to eat, eat innings. This is to get him to when things really matter. And for that reason, you don't necessarily need this to be best for the Lakers. I think you just need it to be good, good enough to, you know, still be able to operate. And it'll still come down to, for me, I think offensively, can you have the right spacing? And then defensively, Another thing, you know, it's not just AD that this impacts. LeBron James is now defending at that small forward position instead of the power forward position. And that is an element as I pull up the data on how LeBron has guarded throughout his career positionally. I think this is really interesting. We're going to go ahead. Yeah. 
it changes things a little bit too, right? Because all of a sudden you have maybe AD as like your wing stopper role-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, because LeBron's really not that guy. Austin really doesn't have the size, you know, for that. That's not the most ideal way to use him. So it moves all the other roles around in an interesting way that I think, you know, subbing in a Kuzma, you know, for that team or a Danny Green, obviously just kind of made more sense based on their personnel. So do you think it's a role thing or is it a player by player basis? I think the LeBron piece is really important, but then also who those other two guys are matters a lot. When we look here with LeBron that title year, 33%, about 34% of his time on defense was guarding small forwards versus only 25.4% guarding power forwards. And then we see about a little, what, 31, 32% guarding ones and twos. This most recent year, only 24% of the time was he guarding ones and twos. So much lower than before. And then only 22% compared to 34% was he guarding threes. He's become more of a four or five man defensively. And I think this is a piece that just makes it so much harder for you you to execute this, whether or not you have a green or Kuzma, which, which help a lot. I think Danny green specifically was, was really strong defensively. Kuz was good, but the data wasn't as impressed. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's fine. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. But I think this piece here, the LeBron, the difference in who LeBron is today defensively compared to what he was in the past, that piece matters to me. And I think that makes it so much harder to do whether or not offensively things are working because you have a great spacer or maybe you don't have a great spacer. So that's that's a piece. And then another element that also factors in on offense is LeBron James's three-point shooting. We don't have to deal with Russell Westbrook being a non-shooter at the one anymore, but if LeBron has another down year, and I don't think he will, but if he's shooting with an F-grade three-point shot making like he did this past season, which is not normal for him, that makes it really hard to then potentially play a three, four, and five who aren't spacers. So I would say if we're looking at AD and Jackson Hayes, I'm yeah. very skeptical that it's the bas- – like from a basketball play better standpoint, it's the way to go. And, and I think that's not the only element. Like we talked about the health piece and something that's something I also looked at. If we look at 80s, 11 seasons and we plot out the proportion of his minutes that he played the four versus uh, playing the five. And then also how many total minutes he was able to get into a season. The R squared was a 0.008. And the way we did, we would interpret that is by saying 0.8% of 80s minute volume in a season uh, can be explained by how often he plays power forward instead of center. There was really no relationship. If we look at the chart, dots are all over the place. There's no trend. There was no relationship. Uh, it did not seem like him playing the five or him playing the four was better or worse when it came to injuries. And I mean, when we think about his injuries, it can come in so many different ways. It can come in, he's jumping for a rebound, which can happen doing anything. It can come, you know, he's sprinting over, rotating to the corner and then jumping to contest the three and then lands on a shooter's foot as they're they're swaying their feet out on the three-pointer. It could come, you know, it could come battling on the inside, but that traditionally hasn't been how we've seen him injured. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's more than one way to get hurt playing basketball. A lot of basketball injuries are ankles and knees. And I wouldn't, I mean, I, I don't have the data in front of me and I'd be curious to see if anyone does. I'm not sure that, yeah, or Jaden McDaniels flops into his knee. I'm not sure that he's any more or less at risk for those specific injuries being a four versus being a five. So that's, that's a piece of this that, Hey, you know, we're okay. If it's not necessarily the best way to optimize the team's performance in the moment, but if it's a way to, you know, conserve him for the playoffs, great. What I did see though, is that, uh, so while his his total ground covered as well in defense was not related much to position at all, his primary defender involvement rate has been much higher when he plays more as the five. And that's a metric we have at B-Ball Index that looks at how often he is kind of directly involved in actions more than being an off-ball kind of helper dude. Playing a five, you're going to be more involved. You're more responsible for rotating to defend the rim. You're more responsible for defending in ball screens. And so you're asked to do more and to that degree. And I think one way you could look at this is if he's a four on defense and has to spend less of that energy bar 
you know, in, in you know, he's still moving around, but in those stressful moments, kind of we talk about with pitchers and baseball, like the stressful pitches versus other pitches, maybe he'll have more of that energy bar to spend on offense. So that that could be an angle here. Uh, his help defensive activity has also been higher when he's played at the five. That makes sense. You're generally the low man in the help position defensively. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's somewhat inconclusive from a health standpoint if make, this makes the most sense. You can certainly argue for it, but I just don't know that there's evidence there uh, that it necessarily means that you're you're less likely to get injured. I mean, I think what you said earlier about, you know, do picking up the dirty work is real. You know, being the low man means you're going to just have guys, more guys running into you. Um, I don't know if it's better or worse, you know, for injury, like you're saying. That's a good point. I don't know if that's quantifiable, but I feel like there are, you know, just from, you know, like start sorry to say I test, you know, playing basketball, you know, it's just a part of the, the role there. But I do like that. I don't know if you've seen Tim that he's been picking up boxing this summer, which is an incredibly balanced sport where you have to, you know, maneuver your athleticism in a direct way and, and keep a strong base. Right. I don't really, I'm not trying to say he's like never going to fall down again. I'm not saying that, but I do think that's a smart thing to, you know, pick up and that could help just strengthening, you know, and kind of, creating new muscle memory actions you get more comfortable with god he's just so athletic it's like it's i can't blame him for traveling five feet to block a shot and not being able to land on his feet Mm -hmm. you know like he goes so far sometimes and so quick so and we did see how the one season he like bulked up a bunch trying to play the five more that wasn't ideal for him. Oh, here's interesting. This is interesting. Looking at, I'm playing with our, our leaderboards, leaderboards, so on ball index. We see him, as expected, contesting more shots per 75 possessions when he's played center versus power forward. But his block rate on contests, the percentage of his contests that he got a block on for two pointers, or just in general, I think it's just in general, is actually much, much higher as a power forward than as a center which I think is interesting. He's, he's coming in from more advantageous positions to obtain blocks as a four versus a five. So I don't know. I'd never seen that before. That's, that's an interesting, that's cool. interesting element. Yeah. And it's not every year, but most of those years, which is strange because uh, again, from a, just in terms of his opportunity, his contests at the rim are much higher when he plays the five, which makes sense. So I don't know. I'll have to dig into that a little bit more, but yeah, no, the, the, I think the boxing, could be helpful, you know, get that stamina up, you know, take some hits. I think as we think about, you know, how much will he play in a season? And, and I look at his minutes here. He, he had been in the 2000s, the high 2000s a couple of these years. But since he's been a Laker, 2100, about 1200, 400, 1900. Still a lot of minutes, but he is going to miss some games. And, and it's really important for the guys behind him to be able to come in and try to hold their own at the very least. And right now, LA certainly has a a need there from my perspective. And I think we'll save talking about the bigs for next week. But Jackson Hayes, do you see him being one of those guys that like if AD goes down, how much confidence, you know what? No, let's save it. Let's save it. I don't want to spoil too much of the content. We're going to keep it to the wings. Yeah. I guess the wing conversation is if you play two bigs, LeBron now needs to play more out of position defensively compared to what he's good at and what he's used to and what makes the most sense for him as he ages. Uh, But I think you could make arguments one way or another uh, for, you know, AD as a four is beneficial for him. So it's an, it's an interesting conversation, but I think there's a lot of context. Like what does that look like for, you know, I guess the the rotation then as well, they're staggering those guys. You still want to, do you want to close with AD at the five or are you trying to get a shift of AD at the five somewhere in there? Uh, or is it matchup dependent? The other thing is, you know, I was trying to talk about building things in the regular season is AD at the four, you know, with the bigs currently constructed, can't speak to the last roster spot yet, but it's currently constructed. Do they have the flexibility that is going to give them, viability in the playoffs i 
I don't know. I'm, don't I'm know. less. So like, you know, I, I'm less convinced of that. So I'm like a little hesitant, I guess, to want to try regular season, like serious regular season minutes. Innings, innings, it's fine. Yeah, you certainly want to throughout the course of the season, like run lineups that you're going to use, run scheme that you're going to use, like within just, you know, sets and your general approach. Like, are we going to be a dribble handoff, uh, you know, five out playmaking team like we used with Castleton in summer league? Or is that just, you know, that's a Castleton thing. We might not see that for a couple of years. Like the, there are, I, I don't know, there, there are different ways to look at it. You want to be good in the regular season. You want to preserve yourselves for the playoffs, but then you also want to prepare for the playoffs to your point. And there will be moments in the playoffs where it might make more sense to play bigger. I think if you're going to do that, understanding that, I, I think that the spacing piece is critical if you're playing two bigs and you want to use this in the playoffs. You might be able to get away with it in the regular season, but come playoff time, if you have a center that's standing out at the three-point line that the defense doesn't care about and they're able to put a center under the, an extra center under the rim defensively, yeah. That is that is really disruptive. And we just saw this Lakers coaching staff come off a year where they struggled with Westbrook off ball and how to deal with that with him being left alone. They struggled with Vanderbilt off ball being left alone at the end of the regular towards the end of the regular season, the last few weeks of the year. More and more teams are doing that. And so they just played him less and less and less. And then once we got to the playoffs, it it went up a notch. And so they need to have some growth, I think, for this to have viability. Come playoff time. Another thing I'm looking at, like I just pulled up the rotation map. That third, you know, hiding an additional center is going to be really important. If you've got AD and Hayes starting, they're both going to have to play a good bunch of minutes unless you decide you, you're okay playing small for a good bit or Castleton's in the regular rotation. Because um, the more you play them together, but then also want to have coverage when they're they're playing separately, like Hayes is going to have to be playing a bunch of minutes unless you have that, that third center. So whether it's Biombo or Wood or Gabriel or someone else, playing two bigs together like this means, you know, you're going to see more minutes with bigs, so they better be ready to handle it. But I don't know. I, I think the success for this to work, the spacing piece is critical. LeBron being able to defend as a three is critical. And I, I'm not as worried about that against a lot of teams and I think the general consensus. Like, not every team has a wing score. A lot of teams don't and matter all that much but against the teams where it does matter like it is really important and so that's a factor and then the scheme piece you know how are we able to counteract teams trying to sag off i think those are those are important ad's jump shooting is important there's a lot that goes into this and right now until we fill out that last big man spot i'm i'm not as sure like if they go get if they can go sign Wood at the men with the big man spot, yeah, playing two bigs makes a whole lot more sense because you've got an additional big man from a minute standpoint. He's one that can handle minutes and he's one that can space the floor, and it makes it makes it a bit easier. If you get Biombo, you have an extra guy, he could play some some bench minutes, and uh, you know, you just have more capability there, even if he's not quite a spacer. So who that additional big man is a playable regular rotation player if you do want to play this two big lineup. Yeah, see, I'm more, I guess, this is more kind of bringing me around, if, if this is the, the philosophy, to Biombo. Um, because I think that would be the best choice for, you know, building that too big. But yeah, it can still possibly make sense with the rest of the spacing. Um, but with with Wood or Hayes, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm wavering, Tim, but... I still want to see what Hayes and AD looks like at some point in the preseason, I, I would suspect. Yeah, I'd love to give it a look. I was really disappointed last season that we didn't get to see Mo Bamba and AD play together. I, I guess an additional element um, is can whoever that four is defend fours? If it's AD, I think we feel okay about it. If it is, If the pairing is AD and Wood and AD is the five, are you getting the benefit of the the health rest conservation piece that you'd want? Possibly not. Right. So is the on-court play worth it? And, and is Wood able to defend fours? Again, against some teams, yeah, just fine. Against other teams, no, probably not. So figuring out how that ends up looking, I think, will be really important. And who that additional guy is, because whether it's Biombo or Wood, I don't know that I trust them defending fours. So you need to be the four in that setup. 
And I guess that's just, you know, I, I don't know if that was just assumed the whole time anyway, but th- that is a factor that that will matter here as well. All right. AD at the four. Um, we'll see if it happens. I'm still kind of on the fence, Tim. Uh, do you ultimately like, yeah, based on what you showed up with the, the rotation there, but they're not, I think, going to rely on Jackson Hayes that much at first. I think they're going to give him a shot, be the backup center. But yeah, unless you feel comfortable with like small ball Rui minutes, which like, again, there's some teams that play very small backup centers, but I don't know. I don't really think that's what this team wants um, from their front line. And I don't know if AD shooting is going to be a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would seem like a weird way to allocate your resources to go super big to small ball. Yeah. Within a game. Right. I just, I don't know right. that it makes like, schematically on both offense and defense, you need to basically have two different version of versions of your team. And in the playoffs, it's good to have different options, but in the regular season, you do want to be able to have a degree of consistency down or, you know, just going lineup to lineup throughout the game. You're able to like, how, you know, have an understanding of what are we doing? How do we do it? If guys get injured or we, you know, mix up the lineups throughout the year, we're not needing to drastically change what that player's used to in terms of their approach because practice time is always limited. So yeah, I I think having, you know, 48 minutes of Lakers basketball, I think will be uh, an element of this as well. It can't be, well, we're, we're going to be big and then tiny and our offense is going to be two different versions of itself. Our defense needs to be two different versions of itself. And if we move this guy from the, the starters to the bench, all of a sudden he's like in a completely new world that he's not used to. Uh, and then, oh, this guy's, you know, getting really hot. We want to keep him in for the fourth quarter. Oh, crap. Now, all of a sudden, he needs to play a different style of defense that he's not a fit with. So I, that's, I don't know. You want to think yeah. about this all holistically, and there's so much to think about. And this is the time of year to be thinking about that. For those of you taking a look at the screen right now, this is if the Lakers were to sign Christian Wood, something that are just a third big. This is what potentially Things could look like if they didn't want to play two bigs, but they wanted to have like a little bit of overlap between AD and Wood. You, you'll see I have, what is this? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 14 minutes a game with AD plus Wood out there. If it's Biombo, is 14 minutes a game too much between the two of them? Can Biombo play 26 minutes like I have here? I don't know. It, I think it'll be very different based on who, who LA does acquire. And in the setup, I only have a nine-man rotation. I don't even have haste playing. So it's this is a stretch run or sort of regular season lineup. But I don't know. One fun thing about the rotation tool I added is you can – anyone can go in and you can edit the names here. So you can say, all right, what if the Lakers did sign this guy and then make your own rotation based off of that? Or what if they made this trade? So there's an extra degree of customization. That's it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, the other thing I'm just kind of coming to, Tim, is the philosophy on defense. With Hayes, it's, it makes more sense. We talked to be like a switchy defense, right? I think him and drop was like the worst possible option. Um, and so there's changing schematically from Vogel scheme to ham scheme. Uh, in that sense, do you think that has any ripple effects of how, you know, where AD might be helping from or, you know, if if you want to do something like that with D'Angelo Russell on the court and just switch everything, you know? I think that's a great question. So it, in general, and, and we've talked about this on the pod before, if a defense is switching or they are in drop coverage, you need to rotate less. If you're hedging, whether it's a soft hedge or hard hedge or you're blitzing or even, you know, with drop, you can do this, with switching, you can do this. But, you know, usually you are needing to rotate more in order for it to work. If you're going to put two guys on the ball and give up a 4v3, the other off-ball defenders can't just stand still. You're going to give up layups and knocks all day long. So the the talent, cal- like the caliber of talent from a rotation standpoint matters. And then also the size of those players matters. and if AD is a four in a lineup and he's that guy, like, I don't know, let's say it's, we'll say it's Jackson Hayes. He is hard hedging along with D low and AD is now that we've got anchoring the defense in the three V four away from the ball. I feel so about that. than if it's LeBron is that defensive anchor that's now responsible for defending the rim. So one element of playing bigger that does help, schematically is if you do want to play one of those coverages where you you would need to rotate a bit more frequently, that would change the kind of, that would change the opportunity for AD as a run protector, as a four compared to things, you know, switching, it's just going to be like, his job is less frequently to like, you need to make rotation. It'll be more like, okay, we had a breakdown. So then I'll, I'll rotate, which is always the case. But anytime you're hedging, you you need to rotate, and if you don't, you're going to get crushed. So that is an element of, you know, maybe it's draining his energy bar more, or maybe it's, hey, we've got this great, like, it's going to be really hard. I don't think another team in the league is going to have a four-man that is able to erase things at the rim like AD would be able to if the Lakers do decide to edge. And that was part of what made this regular season team and playoff team with the Lakers playing big that title year really effective is AD's dominant over there and then in addition to that you have the guys like kuzma and green like you talked about earlier that have size and positional size so yeah when you're rotating you want to be able to be a bit bigger you want to rotate sharply and you got to have good rim protection and i do think that changes the impact of an ad the types of looks an ad would be getting you know it might drain the energy bar a little bit more but i think that's a, a really solid way from an effectiveness standpoint to use him yeah, just a, something to think about. I think, you know, considering the other uh, defensive options out there, I feel less confident about D'Angelo Russell's rotations than, you know, KCP and Caruso. So maybe Gabe Vincent's a better choice in, in that kind of scheme. And D'Lo is trying to find his way onto the court with, you know, passable effort on the, on the defensive end, which, you know, mm-hmm. Team defense is a lot of you know effort in communication. Yep, absolutely. I think that I think Vincent would fill, fit in well with that. I think LA was able to r- remove some of the guys from last season's team, like a Dennis Schroeder, a Russell Westbrook, a Lonnie Walker, that were guys that didn't rotate sharply, and they've replaced them with players who will. I feel better about Prince making rotations. I feel better about Vincent making rotations. D'Lo makes rotations really well. We saw that in the playoffs. And there are things D'Lo's bad at defensively, but 
I'll be damned if you, you try to tell me he's a bad rotator. He communicates really well and he gets to where he needs to be. And that matters regardless of his size that matters. Um, and so I think LA is better equipped from a rotational standpoint to run those coverages this year, last year, they were in really rough shape if they tried to. And then an additional element of it is they now have like, I do think Hayes can hedge. Well, AD can hedge. Well, um, they've got, more of the mobile bigs in there. I think Castleton could do some of that. So they don't, it's not like, oh no, this guy can only play drop. So we'll see who they grab with that last big man spot. I just really, really hope they use guys ways in ways that make sense. Like, you know, Damian Jones was someone I was excited about them acquiring last year. He was one of the best mobile coverage bigs the prior season. And then they brought him in and made him run drop coverage 80% of the time. And he looked like a fool because he's bad at it. And I don't want to see that with Jackson Hayes. I, Jackson Hayes was switching 60% of the time last season. And it was he was much better at that than he was at drop. If they bring him in and make him a drop coverage big, he's not going to look good. And I don't think anyone should be surprised by that. And hey, maybe they improve him and he does look better than he did in the past. But know what you have. Understand the ingredients you're working with when you're when you're cooking a recipe. If If, you know, a certain spice behaves this way and has, you know, is good in combinations with a certain meat, you know, do that, right? And, and then have the right white, uh, right uh, wine pairing with it. I don't know how we'll tie that in, but <laughs> know what you're working with, right? Know what you're working with. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, that's something we haven't seen quite from, from him. I think, I don't know. I think he's done a pretty good job in the playoffs. It was just kind of like, I don't think he bought into the Damian Jones hype ever. Mm-hmm. Oh no, and Jones didn't play all that great, but it's just I, that's an example of this guy yeah, was really good at a thing, and then they brought him in and did not ask him to do that thing ever. And it's like, all right, well, why did you get him? Why did you go after him instead of any of these other players you could have signed instead? So if you're gonna bring guys in, try to make the most of them. And hopefully, hopefully LA can do that. And I think just in terms of like, I don't know ultimately what Darvin Ham will want to do and how the team will run, but this roster is much better set up if they want to run mobile coverages than they were last year, which even when they did it, it didn't work because, because you know, it was hard to get Dennis and Russ and, and Lonnie and some of these guys to make these rotations. They just were not, that's not their game. That's not their game. So they're, they're set up better. There, there are more possibilities at this point in time. All right. I feel like, we talked about with the wing that kind of situation a couple shows in a row. Is there anything else you want to kind of hit on? Yeah, just a couple last notes. Like Max Christie, we haven't really talked about. He's someone that as I'm building out like my rotation map and what I think might happen, and I'll pull one up on the screen. Again, this is kind of me screwing around. This isn't finalized. This isn't what I necessarily think should happen. But I've got like D'Lo and Vincent taking up like all of the point guard minutes and nobody else. I've got Reeves and Christie taking up all of the, the shooting guard minutes and nobody else. And that gets, I, I have Reeves with 30, Christie with 18. Now, if we think either of them should play more than that, and I think you could certainly make that case, then yes, we would need to see that that their minutes kind of bleed into other positions. But I don't expect Max Christie starting the season to be playing any minutes at the three or definitely not the four just in the regular rotation, just because of how many other bodies the Lakers have. So we haven't talked about him. We'll talk about him with the guards. Maxwell Lewis, nothing he showed us at summer league really, I think changes where our stance was on him. Like he's, he showed some flashes right now. He's a project in that he needs to refine his game, get some seasoning. You just, you don't immediately go from mediocre impact and efficiency shot creator at a mid major to NBA rotation player for a contender. Like he needs some time. I like the upside. And I like the flashes. He's not ready yet. So those are two guys that I don't think break into this conversation. And then one last thing I, I, with Jared Vanderbilt, we touched on what his three point shooting would need to do from an improvement standpoint with his screen navigation. I mentioned last pod that uh, his ball screen navigation compared to rotation point of attack defenders was sixth percentile lower than 94% of guys for wing stopper 16th percentile for him to get to average screen navigation among wing stoppers and pointed of attack defenders that just lumped them together, he would need 93rd percentile single year growth among players in his age range. So I did plus or minus two years and I looked at 
you know, what do guys usually, how much do they grow year to year? And he would need to have a bigger jump than 93% of the players in our database at B-Ball Index over the past decade. The average growth was two percentile points. The median growth was one and a half percentile points. So most likely he's not going to get up to average screen navigation. But if he has really, really good growth and we really trust Phil Handy, we trust Vando's work ethic, it's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I would just say I wouldn't bet on it. But if he's able to get to that, that, that certainly helps a lot. So from a, an individual player standpoint, we already talked about LeBron, Rui, Vando, Prince, Reddish. Wanted to hit on those last couple guys. And then, Tom, we can do this now. We can do this later. I've got a little factor fiction when it comes to the wings where yeah, I've got a statement. Do it. All right. So first factor fiction. I'll, I'll read off the statement. You let me know. This is a fact. This is happening or fiction. This is not happening. Per possessions. LeBron Wait, say, that again, say that again. Okay. Per 100 possessions. LeBron is LA's most impactful offensive player this season. Fact or fiction? Uh, this past season? This upcoming season. Not a quiz. This is a prediction. Oh, I see. I see. Um, most impactful? Most impactful on offense. No. I think I, I agree with you there. I and and that's, that's where things looked last. I'm pulling up. Uh, this is how he and AD have looked each year. I think overall, I would say AD will be that top guy when you account for defense. But on offense, I still think LeBron's going to stand in that top spot. So I, I'd say I agree with you. All right, next one. Jared Vanderbilt starts more games than Torian Prince this season. Fact or fiction? That might be a fact. That might be true. Why do you think that? Um, Because I think the the role that he steps in for LeBron or can slide in with LeBron um, as he's done last season. And I don't see the same for Prince. I think defensively, there's some concerns there about the kind of roles he can play in comparison to LeBron, whereas Vanderbilt, you know, at least can defensively be a body that can, or a helper. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think Vanderbilt's got the institutional, uh, how do I say it? Pole, you know, tent pole, a little bit higher up rung on the rung of okay. importance as far as youth, um, you know, potential to develop him more as a higher ceiling, you know, short or long term for them. So, yeah, I could see it several ways. I mean, if Prince comes out and shoots, you know, 42%, maybe it's a dumb take. But um, I, I like Prince. I've talked about Prince plenty. But I, I kind of think it's the Lakers' uh, commitment to Vando. Okay. I am going to disagree with you because I think it makes for a better podcast. I'm going to say fiction. I'll say Torian Prince starts more games than Vando. and. Check. My reasoning would be his three-point shooting. I don't know that I trust LeBron's. I don't trust AD's. And we know there's some chance that LA might play with two bigs. And Prince can hit last season. He guarded at the two. He's a shooter. He can space the floor. He's got the off-screen element, which we just saw LA in the regular season last year once they had Malik Beasley. Use that a ton with him. And immediately, like... This is something that Christian likes to do. I think he's going to really like having Torian Prince on the team from a, an off-screen standpoint. They already have the sets in the playbook, and those sets worked very, very well. And so having a guy that can do that on offense and then on defense be able to hold his own, I don't think he's nearly the defender that Vando is. But I think overall, if his threes are falling, I think he's just such an easy plug-and-play and the type of guy that can draw – attention with the off-screen game away from LeBron and AD, which is kind of the the opposite of what Vando does on offense. And and we saw with him that the, the staff wasn't really sure how to handle that. So I can certainly see what you're saying being true. I wouldn't be surprised if it's true, but I think this is a this is an interesting one because I can see this going either way. Yeah. Um part of it could be, you know, depending on who's hurt, you know what I mean? 
if they mm-hmm. need somebody a little bit bigger to size up or if they need somebody to size down a little bit. Uh, we talked about using possibly using Prince as a guard defensively, kind of a 3 and D, you know, guard wing kind of mishmash of roles. Um, mm-hmm. That could be more useful if you know, Austin gets a turned angle for a week and might need to start him at the two or something like that. You know what I mean? So maybe there's different pathways for, for those two guys that might go into that as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I guess the, the last angle could be they just spent a BAE on Vando. Or I'm sorry, not on Vando, on Prince. And I probably with the intent to play him a good bit. So I, maybe, maybe that's an, a factor. We don't know. Vando isn't someone that they've had to need to pay recently. So we don't have as good of a grasp on what they think his value is. But we've certainly seen him be someone that, that the staff throws out there and gives opportunities. We'll see. I think this will be an interesting watch, one to watch for the season. Let's move to the next one. Different wing. Factor fiction. Cam Reddish breaks into the regular rotation based on his play at some point this season. Not because two guys are injured. Do you think he can steal minutes from a, uh, a Vando or a Prince or a Rui based on his play? And maybe they're not so good play at some point this year. Let's say like he's in the regular rotation, I don't know, three games in a row. I have to say fact, but I don't like it. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't like it. But I. I think. You know what? No, fuck that. I don't think so. No. Oh, outside why, why of injury, not? like outside of injury, I just don't think the minutes are there. Mm. It was the right answer. <laughs> no, I don't think he's good at basketball. You guys. I don't think. Let me rephrase it. I don't think he's you know meaningfully impactful on the court. Um, in a team setting. Okay, that's a much better way to that that that'll anger people less. That's a good way of phrasing that. <laughs> I don't. I, I'll, I'll I'll play devil's advocate again. I'll say fact, and I know you're not gonna like it, but I think he's gonna get a shot. I I think at some point in 82 games, I see this team, barring crazy injuries, being well set up to get a high seed, and as they're going about things. I think they're also going to realize they're going to realize we're good, but we're not the best. We need to find an extra gear. We need to find ways to close the gap between us and the best team or two in our conference. And we could do that via trade, or we can try to see if we have something internally. And I think over the course of that long season, they are going to say, we're going to give them a real shot. We're going to give someone a rest. Maybe they're not injured, but Hey, you're going to get the week off, go, go, uh, you know, take a break. This guy's taking your minutes instead. Or maybe Vando at some point shoots 5% from three for a couple of weeks. And then they say, all right, we can't do this. Uh, all it would take is a couple guys not shooting well for someone's three-point shooting to be problematic. It could be Prince. It could be Vando. It could be Rui. There are multiple wings on this roster that have not consistently proven that they're able to space the floor. And several of them defensively are either very situational or have not consistently been able to be good, like meaningfully impactful. So while Reddish hasn't been, I think at some point he's going to impress them enough in practice where they say, we're going to give him a shot. Show us what you got. And it might last three games. And they say, all right, we gave it a shot. Yeah. We're glad we gave him a shot. That's the end of the shot. Okay, that wasn't the question. Okay, you said based on his play. <laughs> Those are, hey, like, he's killing it in garbage time. See, but he's going to get a, a shot. He's hero. <laughs> he's, he's hitting the half-court shot at the end of practice, man. He's he's hustling to the, the timeout, the, you know, on every whistle. Oh, he's yeah. running station to station. The, the Cam Reddish uh, revival tour <laughs> has already started by the Los Angeles Lakers. It's already uh-huh. begun. Uh-huh. Hey, and, and and going back to the last spot, there there were things we talked about on the last podcast he has gotten better at in terms of his second-level scoring and his scoring at the rim. So if the three starts falling, man, he makes sense. That's all I'll say. So, all right, that, that was a good one. Fact or fiction, LeBron is a big man now. It should be probably in the big man conversation. Yeah, fact. I kind of brought that up uh, a little bit the end of the last pod as well but yes 
even yeah, before I, you said that data earlier. Mm-hmm. So that you're thinking on defense, I think I agree with you. On offense, what would you say his position should be this upcoming year? Should he be more? And I'll phrase it this way: it, from an offensive role standpoint, among the what do we have? 11, 12 offensive roles at B ball next. Which one do you think makes the most sense for him? I'll, I'll pull up what he has been in the past so we can uh, get a look at that for the people in here. And then from that, we can kind of see what we think, what things might look like. Oh yeah. He's been a shot creator every year, all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you see any of any of that changing? It's not, it's just how he does. It has slightly changed. You know, talking operating out of the post and just a little bit more uh being the guy to set the screen and then be the role man and being able to facilitate that way um this he's doing it slightly different ways than he you know before he could be the freight train coming down and three step into a monster dunk and now he's using his body differently to seal and using his power and he's still extremely dexterous dexterous i can never say that word um, so I think he's just doing it differently and I think it, it's going to cost a little bit more athletically dexterous. Thank you. Extras. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, for the people who were just looking at the screen, I had, uh, where did I have it on? I had it on custom grades. So it was comparing LeBron's seasons against LeBron seasons, which is why you saw a couple less in there. When I do move it to database grade, it's just eight every year. Um, so don't worry. He's not a bad offensive player. So uh, playing devil's advocate yet again, I'll say, and I'll frame it this way. I'll say, what was the, the prompt? Oh, he's an interior player. I'll say an offense fiction. We saw a limited version of LeBron at the end of last year based on his ankle injury. And after doing some rehab after, I think he's getting, he gets surgery or he's getting surgery. Um, He's going to be, he's going to, he's going to have that burst back and he's going to be able to have the ball in his hands, making decisions, running ball screens, isolating from the perimeter. He won't need to isolate from the post. And I think probably uh, the way I'll frame this is maybe we saw a, you know, a, a glimpse into the future of old man LeBron offense that is more post heavy that as long as that ankle's good pre you know pre-injury this past year carry that over he's ready to be more of an on-ball guard style offensive player but yes on defense i think he's a big yeah i mean okay next one let's do it we got one last one okay fact or fiction the lakers have a wing stopper problem fact my humble opinion Explain. Been a little bit worried about it since uh, free agency. You know, looking more into Prince. In theory, he's the guy who could do some some of that stuff, but really hasn't um, been good at that. So I I love to see Rui improve. There uh, is the sample we saw from last season enough, right? And then what does that look like when you try to like? not only maintain that but expand the amount of times and and change his role dramatically too and then if you don't think vanderbilt's the the kind of piece that can play around ad and braun right there's another option that you could throw out there in the playoffs kind of got played out so i don't know are you gonna you gonna devil's advocate uh this one or or do you feel confident with the the wings that the lakers have i i don't i don't i i think their <laughs> best shots for wing like when i'm thinking wing stopper i'm thinking like all right we need to put someone to defend we'll say like Kawhi, one of those like bigger scoring like you know got some 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 size to them bodies They've got to be able to defend in isolation. They need to probably defend, you know, navigating ball screens. And that's an element that I'm a little worried about, uh, specifically with Vando, because I really like Vando's 1v1 defense. Again, compared to wing stoppers or compared to point of attack defenders, 
his screen navigation has been quite poor. And we saw that play out in the playoffs. That's not a problem if he's defending guys who either don't run ball screens or aren't good at them. But when I map out the scoring wings that are good enough ISO scores that you want Vendo on them for ISO, also looking at their pick and roll play, only like three or four guys out of like the top like 30 options weren't also good pick and roll players. And so that's why I'm concerned with him individually and zooming out. I, I think he's your best bet by a good margin here. And then behind him, probably reddish maybe makes sense. Rui and then Prince and then LeBron. And I just, I don't, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. I don't like the high end or the depth of that skill set, but in the regular season, I just, I don't know that it matters all that much because I don't know. It's, it's just not, you don't face Kawhi every day. You're going to face some like wings that, that try to score, but you should be good enough with Vando and some of these other guys to, to do fine against them. And I think another element of this is like, you know, ball screens are a thing you defend as a team. That's not, that's not a thing you defend as individuals. And if they rotate well, if they've got rim protection, they've got size, maybe that you're, you know, you could be good there. Defending ISO in the playoffs, you'd be a fool to just let a guy stay on an Island play after play and just try to guard a guy one V one this day and age, unless they're just going to dominate. It makes sense to send help. And we saw that with the Lakers last year. We saw, I mean, I'm looking at, looking at Jared Vanderbilt film in the playoffs when he was defending one V one in ISO situations and the offense was getting the most of them. LA said help. And that's the right thing to do. And that's the right, that's, that's what good defenses do. They, they stunt, they dig, they double, they front, like they do those things to make life hectic and try to, you know, play chess. So in the regular season, I don't know that it's a, you know, daily problem with every team you're going to face. And then in the playoffs, I, I just, I know that there are more options and we've seen this team engage in some of those options. So I think it's a problem from a talent standpoint with the roster. I question how much of a problem it is. So yeah, I guess I'll agree with you, but I'm not losing sleep over it. Okay. I mean, the Lakers obviously kind of had confidence in it. And I think they're, that's their vision is that they believe Rui can, can be that guy. They believe in Vanderbilt, whether, you know, we do or not. Um, so they, they believe they have the pieces there and uh, they, they have tradable pieces. So all these guys could be traded, you know, pretty, pretty quickly here. If, if something comes up and they had decent money in the mid level, you know, to get a wing, if they, so desired um it's not the greatest wing out there but you could get someone and they chose not to they chose gay vincent and torian prince and just kind of some some veteran minimum you know upside plays um Mm -hmm. and we've seen that work for them throughout the years we have also seen that not work for them so we'll see um they have fewer of those in crucial positions than previous seasons so that's good at least Mm -hmm. yeah one last thing i'll mention too is if you're at at a team level going to be switching a bit more or that you know that's where having a lot of these wing size bodies can be really helpful where if vando's able to go out there and defend a guard to start a play and then switch onto a big he's in a better position than like a D'Lo would be or Vincent would be defending. Say Vando's starting on a big man and then he switches onto a guard. He's in a better position to defend that than probably the rest of our big men would be. So using a guy like him leaning into the switching factor, I think could be part of this. And that could play into the wing stopper defense as well. Probably more of like the pick and roll defense though, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, here's a quick right. one from chat. Yeah. Shabugan. Fact or fiction. Uh, the extra year, I'm assuming, of development and, you know, adding these pieces together in, pro- in a proper season will be better than the ancillary additions to the roster. Fact or fiction. Does that mean? We'll be more impactful, so, more, uh, you know, I guess is how I'm reading it, more. So maybe like 
the jump we might see from like Vando and Rui having an extra off season yeah. more yeah. so than like Prince would provide. Okay. You know, all of the pieces that came in the trade, you know, Mamba and Beasley are gone. So it's, yeah, it's those guys. I will say, ooh. Okay, he, he clarifies the extra development for Rui, Vando, Reeves, D'Lo is more important than the free agent additions. I mean, I would say that with D'Lo, Reeves, and one of those other two, you've probably got three starters right there. And so I think those guys will be more impactful. The growth, though, I think is, is really that question he's asking. And I would say that, so it's, all right, growth from those guys or going from like Malik Beasley, Troy Brown to Torian Prince who I think is like a combo of those two or going from Schroeder to a Vincent or going from like a, I don't know, a Gabriel to a Hayes. I think the, I think I'll lean development. I, I, I think I'll say fact. I think the growth we might see from Rui, Vando, Reeves, and D'Lo, and, and maybe it's not even growth. It might be, we saw a small sample of some of these guys, get them for a full 82 games. And we're going to see the highs and the lows instead of like, you know, just some really low lows for Delos three-point shooting. I don't know that he's going to develop. I think we're just going to see a more accurate reflection of who he's been. Oh, yes. Okay. Is the defense better because they're more connected? Exactly. So we're, we're kind of answering in two different ways, I think. But I think the question, as I took it, was kind of like the more time the team can spend together and, and not be thrown together at the trade deadline and have a continuity in a training camp. Um. So all of that is that more important than just adding extra guys, like having that with the core guys, you know, assuming mm-hmm. none of the new additions work out, but the core guys we had last year are all kind of doing the same thing. I don't know. I think it'll feel like it for sure, because the Lakers post trades were a really, really good team last year, Very, like a top team in the West. And we're going to see, I mean, not all the same, you know, a couple of those guys won't be back and several of those guys that won't be back weren't good for the team last year. We're probably going to see like this roster right now is better set up than last year's roster right now. And so I think we're going to see better team success. I think chemistry does matter. And to his point about the defense being more connected, I, I do think just getting more time to work and talk through things and figure out each other's tendencies does does play a part, especially if you do want to be a hedging defense. Uh, working on rotations, I think, matters because not every team does rotations the same way. Offensively, it matters as well. It matters more in transition and in kind of freelance offense, which LA did a lot of transition last year. Their freelance in the playoffs was a big part of what they did. In the regular season, even after the trades, and actually even more so after the trades, they re- they lead really heavily on set plays. And that is one way to know where everyone will be and what they will be doing in a way that kind of gives you a short cut on the chemistry side. And I don't think it was because of the trades, but I do think that will that'll be a factor that does continue in the next season and makes it even easier. But on top of that, do, I, I do see chemistry and that growth playing a big factor. And I think, I don't know, going from Dennis to Vincent, it's a better fit skill-wise or like talent-wise. It's not a huge jump. Uh, Hayes, I think, has to prove himself quite a bit. I don't think he's a gigantic jump. And then Prince, I'm bullish on, but I also don't see him as a like a game-changing key addition. But I think like what D'Lo looks like after an offseason, you know, not having to show up and immediately be good for the short period of time he's with the team might be good for this team. I don't expect Vando to suddenly become a good three-point shooter because he's had an offseason with Phil Handy and, and Chris Jett. I just don't think that's... I think, you know, we just saw LeBron come off of an awful shooting season. This is the team where guys go to stop being shooters. I, I don't think, you know, a fan-favorite guy is just going to suddenly become a better shooter. Um, so I, I'm not as bullish on, like, that piece of things with the shooting, but... In terms of like cutting and passing, yeah, yeah. Defensive rotations, I see it. I have a feeling I'm gonna make a Vanderbilt three point percentage bet with you just to see how low I can get you to to like put the line. I am not yeah. I'm gonna have to uh put on my best negotiating hat and not think, think not, about it. 
walk myself into a corner. You're going to end up <laughs> placing it like really low and I'm, and I'm going to be so tempted to go under, but. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, well, let me think about that one. Uh, I think that's a good place to park it for today, Tim. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, uh, everyone, for joining. Hopefully, the uh, the watching live experience here at playback.tv slash Lakers Watch Party was worth tuning in. We, uh, if, if you want to join us and continue the conversation, join our Discord, either DM me, Tom, or the, the pod account of Five Star Review of the Podcast, or check out the link in my bio on Twitter, and uh, you can get into the, the Discord. We continue to just have more and more people join that great conversation there. We've got a great mod team. And uh, lots of lots of good discussion on all kinds of different topics, Lakers, basketball, and even non-basketball. So it's a fun place to be, fun place to not have opposing team fans lurking over your shoulders or, you know, the, the type of people that are saying nasty things about players. Like, we're, we're generally having a pretty good discussion in there. There are also various tiers you can join and, and get extra access to uh, bonus pods or uh, X's and O's content or different ch- private channels. Want to shout out to folks who have participated in that. We've got the court side and lower bowl crews. They really help us out um, with the five and ten dollar a month packages, and it's actually cheaper if you you uh, go you know six months or twelve months. But uh, shout out to them. Also shout out Zach Harris, Q Daddy O, iPod Shuffle, Miguel T Shuttleworth, Omar Roy, Abdurrahman, Keneal Mason, Doppler Romario for being in the owners box, as well as to Court Prowse and TJ Timotaji for being in that top arena sponsorship tier really appreciate the sport everyone and hopefully for those listening we can uh, get a chance to see you in there soon and continue talking lakers basketball absolutely it's a great time for it tim and uh we have the uh the winning time trailer drop today as well so we'll have that in a couple weeks to talk and react and have fun with so we're gonna keep the party here going so check us out on playback all summer Yep, and uh, next week, Tom, I'm, I'm thinking we could dig into the bigs a little bit. We've got uh, some open roster spots. I've got a lot to say about Bismack Biombo <laughs> and and how the Lakers can make more of him than he was made last made of him last year with Phoenix. I think he was misused on offense. I think Christian was a little bit misunderstood. Um, and you know, want to kind of give the pitch for each of them. Want to give Wenning Gabriel some love. I think he should be in consideration. For that that big man spot, and in addition to those guys, again, talk through AD, talk through Hayes, talk through Castleton. This will be an interesting position, and I don't think the Lakers are done. And how well they do, and how well the pieces fit together, is impactful, and I think impacts the scheme on both ends of the court a lot. And so, really, really excited. I've already dug into my prep a bunch for that. We're gonna have some great conversations. Check us out Monday, Tuesday. Thursday next week, I believe, as long as we're sticking to the normal schedule. We'll uh, we'll yep, see yep. you here at the playback.tv slash Lakers watch party streams. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. See you.